You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. The Vice Society may be upping its marketing game. Royal Ransomware may have a connection to Conti. Royal delivers ransom notes by hacked printer. Killnet goes after healthcare. CISA's stakeholder engagement strategic plan. Adam Myers from CrowdStrike looks at cyber espionage. Julia Porter from RoboKiller does not want to talk to you about your car's extended warranty. And holiday wishes to all. the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe. I'm Dave Fittner with your CyberWire summary for Friday, December 23rd, 2022. Hello, everyone. It's great to have you with us here today. First, we look at some developments in the cybercriminal underworld. Cybersecurity firm Sentinel-1 discovered a new ransomware variant in use by the Vice Society Group. It's custom-branded for the group, a first for these threat actors. Vice Society activity has been observed since June 2021 and was always seen utilizing third-party ransomware strains, such as Hello Kitty, Five Hands, and Zeppelin, Sentinel-1 reports. The strain seen in a recent intrusion, which the firm's researchers have dubbed Polyvice, appends the file extension of encrypted files to .vice society. The recent findings that the Zeppelin ransomware strain implemented weak encryption that allowed for decryption may have been a factor in the group's implementation of the new Polyvice variant. It is suspected that this ransomware is likely from a vendor as Chili Ransomware and Sunny Day Ransomware have identical functions, with variations only in campaign-specific details. Our second note from the underworld comes from researchers at Trend Micro, who have published a report on the relatively new ransomware strain that goes by the name Royal. It turns out that there are some signs of connection to an old familiar name, Conti. Royal attacks are being launched by a sophisticated gang that used to operate the now apparently defunct Conti ransomware. Royal ransomware first surfaced in September 2022, and the vast majority of its attacks have targeted entities in the U.S. and Brazil. The threat actor uses callback phishing, a social engineering technique in which the attacker poses as technical support and instructs the victim over the phone to install remote desktop software. The threat actors also exfiltrate data before executing the ransomware. Trend Micro predicts that the Royal ransomware operators will increase their activity in the coming months. Royal has made an appearance in Australia. 
The Queensland University of Technology, second largest university in the state of Queensland, has apparently sustained a royal ransomware attack, the Australian Broadcasting Corporation reports. Yesterday, printers in the university's network began spewing out ransomware notices in bulk, in some cases until they used up all the affected printers' paper. Seven News gives some of the content of the extortionist's message. After telling the recipients that they had been hit, the printouts read, Most likely what happened was that you decided to save some money on your security. Alas, as a result, your critical data was not only encrypted but also copied. From there, it can be published online. Then anyone on the Internet from Darknet and even your employees will be able to see your internal documentation. Fortunately, we got you covered. Covered, that is, by promising to return your data once you pay the ransom. The university has shut down IT systems as it works on remediation. Australian authorities have grown fed up, positively testy, with the trouble cyber criminals have caused over the latter part of 2022. It will be interesting to see what response Royal draws from them. The gang is already in U.S. sites and it's likely to receive some unwelcome attention from Australian authorities. We wish them good hunting. Go out and drop these chumps. Turning to the cyber phases of Russia's hybrid war against Ukraine, Killnet, the hacktivist auxiliary that has been perhaps the most publicly prominent Russian actor in cyberspace over the past few months of the war, has turned its attention to health care. The U.S. Department of Health and Human Services through its Health Sector Cybersecurity Coordination Center, the HC3, has warned U.S. hospitals and other healthcare providers that they should expect to receive attention from Killnet. The HC3 analyst note says that Killnet has previously targeted or threatened to target organizations in the healthcare and public health sector. Much of its activity has represented a threat to data privacy, and it's worth noting that more has been threatened than has apparently materialized. For example, Kill Milk, a senior member of the Killnet Group, has threatened the U.S. Congress with the sale of the health and personal data of the American people because of the Ukraine policy of the U.S. Congress. In December 2022, the pro-Russian hacktivist group claimed the compromise of a U.S.-based healthcare organization that supports members of the U.S. military and claimed to possess a large amount of user data from that organization. In some cases, however, Killnet has threatened medical devices. The report says, In May 2022, a 23-year-old supposed Killnet member was arrested in connection with attacks on Romanian government websites. In response to the arrest, Killnet reportedly demanded his release and threatened to target life-saving ventilators in British hospitals if their demands were not met. The member also threatened to target the UK Ministry of Health. HC3 says, with commendable realism, that Killnet does tend to do more woofing than biting, stating, It is worth taking any claims Killnet makes about its attacks or operations with a grain of salt. Given the group's tendency to exaggerate, it is possible some of these announced operations and developments may only be to garner attention, both publicly and across the cybercrime underground. So, as the proverb would have it, the group's eagle mouth does have a tendency to overload its parakeet backside. Nonetheless, HC3 suggests several steps healthcare organizations might take to protect themselves and their patients, so keep those shields up, doctor. 
Speaking of shields up, CISA, the U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, has published a strategic plan for stakeholder engagement. The goals of the 2023 through 2025 plan, the first of its kind for CISA, are to first foster collaboration on stakeholder engagement and outreach across CISA divisions, second, gain a better understanding of stakeholders' security risks and needs, and third, effectively provide stakeholders access to CISA's products, services, resources, and information. Stakeholder outreach and cooperation are as important to CISA as they are to any U.S. federal agency, given the extent to which so much U.S. critical infrastructure is held by the private sector, and so it will be interesting to see how the agency executes its strategy over the next three years. And finally, the CyberWire will publish on our winter holiday schedule beginning tomorrow and continuing through next week. It's not a hiatus. Instead, we'll depart from our regular daily and weekly podcasts and news briefings to bring you a selection of special coverage. Visit the CyberWire over the break for discussion of some of the cybersecurity sector's most interesting topics and even some pieces offered for your entertainment. We'll resume regular publication on January 3rd, the day after the U.S. federal observance of New Year's Day. In the meantime, we hope you have a quiet, restful holiday season. It's been one heck of a year, full of good times and bad, joy and sadness. We're glad you chose to spend some of your time with us, and we look forward to more time together in the coming year. It means the world to us that you find value in what we do. On behalf of our amazing CyberWire team, I wish you a Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and a safe and joyous New Year. And special wishes for peace on Earth, and especially for a just peace in Ukraine. Be kind, take care. We'll see you next year. Coming up after the break, Adam Myers from CrowdStrike looks at cyber espionage. Julia Porter from RoboKiller does not want to talk to you about your car's extended warranty. Do stick around. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. 
This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. Adam Myers is head of threat intelligence at CrowdStrike, and in his position, he's been front and center to some of the industry's most significant cyber investigations. I checked in with Adam Myers for his insights on where we stand when it comes to cyber espionage. When we think about it, uh, cyber operations, cyber espionage, it's really for countries, these, these uh, entities are conducting these operations for sabotage. Um, they're also using them to enable disruptive, destructive operations and espionage. And so the scope of these things ranges uh, country to country. North Korea, over the last couple of years, has engaged in a lot of revenue generation, meaning that they're breaking into cryptocurrency platforms and financial institutions and financial technology companies in order to steal actual money to help that regime uh, conduct you know nuclear uh, building and and some of the other stuff that they're engaged in and you know that's uh, consistent with what we've seen them do across some of the other spectrum of things that uh, that they may uh, attempt to do right counterfeiting would be effectively human trafficking for labor purposes uh, criminal activity all of these things are uh, associated with behaviors of North Korea in order to generate revenue for the regime and also for uh, the Kim family. Is there a bit of fuzziness here? I mean, I I guess when when I think of um, espionage, I I tend to to think of the spy versus spy kind of stuff. But when you get into things like theft, as you mentioned, you know, North Korea stealing things, um, even the intellectual property that uh, China is is known to, to take, it seems like it crosses over uh, into the. Is it fair to say? Um, I don't know. You know, gentlemanly spying on each other, reading each other's letters, right? Uh, into theft. How do we deal with that fuzziness? Uh, well, I think espionage is a is a dirty game um, that mm. that has to be played, and it always has had you know degrees of that, right? If you go back to the. KGB and, and, and those days, you know, there was an entire line of technical collection that was established to steal secrets, right? Um, things like the, 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 um, the Star Wars program back in the eighties was something that I think, you know, in part was designed to, uh, draw out those Russian, uh, KGB, uh, Line X operators and, 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 uh, some of the, the technical collection uh, people in order to play that game, right, with, with, with them. So it, it has always been 
this. And I think um, when we think about cyber espionage, cyber operations, COVID was a huge problem for espionage operators because, you know, if you think about that spy versus spy stuff that you alluded to, you know, trying to get across a border, trying to put human assets into a target country became very difficult during COVID, right? Borders were locked down. Um, you had to to submit to all kinds of different uh, quarantines and things like that. So it became difficult to put human assets in place that, that weren't there and to service the human assets, right? To be able to get information from them while they were undercover uh, or, or uh, uh, you know, in, in place. So cyber operations became a huge, hugely important role for, for these different espionage operators. You know, I think we've seen that over the last two or three years, it's proliferated. We've added new nations as uh, what CrowdStrike tracks conducting cyber operations. One of the more prolific ones that we've been tracking pretty closely is Turkey. And so, you know, there is this increase in not just the number, but also the, um, by number, I mean, an increase in operations, not just in terms of the different agencies within the known countries doing it, but new countries coming to light that are conducting these operations. And I think that they see this as very attractive. It's mm. cheap. It's low risk, right? If, if an operation gets burned, you have some degree of deniability and you can move on and do it again, right? It doesn't require setting up a whole bunch of infrastructure uh, in country. It doesn't require moving humans around and building covers and legends and all the things that you you read about in spy movies uh, or or books and um, you know it becomes uh, really democratized in a certain way for lots of countries that want to engage in these operations they really just need to find some people that have the know-how and are willing to do it and then task them to do it you know I, I've seen what I think it's fair to say you, you can call a shift in uh, the approach by uh, some of the the government agencies, you know, the, the three-letter agencies, in, in that there's a lot more public-private partnership and, and I suppose an acknowledgement that they can't do it alone, the, the public can't do it alone, and that they really need to come at this problem uh, together, collaboratively. Um, what is your take on that shift? Do, do, you, do, you, do you think uh, that that indeed is the case, that that's happening? Absolutely. And as I said before, right, the Everybody that's doing playing defense, whether it be at a small enterprise, a large enterprise, Fortune 500, or government agency, they have a role to play. They're on that front line. And through things like the JCDC, the Joint Cyber Defense Cooperative that was established by CISA, through some of the other efforts by different government agencies, not just here in the U.S., but across the globe, we've seen an increase in collaboration, two-way sharing Right, which used to be very uh, one way, uh, and it was typically you know private sector sharing information to the government, and it became a black hole. And what we've seen over the last couple of years is that there's been a substantial effort by government agencies across the globe to increase their information sharing and partnership with the private sector. And I think that that's a recognition of the fact that we are the frontline defenders, right? And so that being able to get those frontline defenders involved and to share information in a two-way capacity makes everybody safer. That's Adam Myers from CrowdStrike.
a lot more to this conversation. If you want to hear more, head on over to the CyberWire Pro and sign up for Interview Selects, where you'll get access to this and many more extended interviews. As 2022 winds down, there's one thing I think it's safe to say that most of us, at least here in the U.S., have experienced. People trying to reach us about our car's extended warranty. Julia Porter is vice president at RoboKiller, one of the companies making apps that look to block these spammy and scammy phone calls and text messages. They recently published a report on the trends they're tracking and the annoyances they're blocking. So I checked in with Julia Porter... For the details. So unfortunately, uh, Americans are now more spammed than ever as of 2022. Um, in past years, you know, we've been very much focused on uh, robocall trends, um, which have continued to increase year over year. Unfortunately, we do have a new problem that's emerging at great scale, which is robotechs. Um, just in the first half of 2022, um, it's estimated that Americans received 66 billion robotechs. Um, which is quite a lot. And at this point, it's now outpacing robocalls where Americans received about only, only, I mean, huh, uh, 40 billion <laughs> estimated spam calls in the same time period. So um, at this point now, one of the biggest trends and, and concerns, frankly, for us is that, you know, and we can talk about this in a bit, but uh, the industry is very focused right now on combating robocalls and scammers know this, and they seem to be getting one step ahead of us in pivoting to this new technology, which is robotechs. And I mean, is is that really what it comes down to? Is that uh, as organizations like yourselves are are helping people get on top of robocalls, is this just a pivot on the part of the bad guys? It's actually a pivot at the industry level. Robokiller has been blocking spam texts for many years now, and we have been first to market in uh, solutions to protect consumers. Uh, but what this we believe this is a result of, and the the trend lines up with this timing uh, quite quite closely. Um, is if you've been following this, the uh, government efforts on the robocall side um, with a new technological framework called Stir Shaken. Um, Stir Shaken, it was a technology that was uh, released last year that all telecommunications providers in the U.S. Um, had to adopt and comply with, which was essentially a technological framework for caller ID verification and authentication. And what that was designed to do was create a universal standard for understanding whether or not a call, a phone call that was being placed was being spoofed. Um, a lot of times scammers, uh, robocallers in particular, um, are using caller ID spoofing to mask their caller ID. And, and normally that's on the backside of a, a, a phone scam um, more than it is a legitimate call. Um, and so the industry has been very, very focused on adopting this framework, complying with right new regulations. Um, and we are seeing improvements as a result. Uh, but unfortunately, scammers uh, know this as well, and we're prepared for this and are responding in just a whole new medium, unfortunately. Yeah, it really seems like a game of cat and mouse here. And uh, as you say, very frustrating for consumers. I mean, what are some of the other statistics that, that you're tracking here? So the FTC reports uh, has a, a reports on the reports that they receive for consumers who come to the FTC and report losses to phone scams. We believe, based on the traffic that we're seeing, that um, these reports that represent millions and millions of dollars of consumer losses 
um, are only a small piece of the the, the actual losses uh, in the United States. For 2022, we are projecting that we are that consumers are going to lose about 28 billion dollars to robotechs. Where that kind of nets out is about a thousand dollars in losses per robotext scam. And unfortunately, again, going back to that point of being more spammed than ever, people are also losing uh, money to robocalls. Um, and we believe that actually that number for robocalls is going to ex- reach about 60 billion by the end of 2022. Um, and so you can imagine that this is a huge problem for consumers that we're seeing in, in nationwide. And of course, you know, it, that just kind of takes it a step further. Not only are these calls and texts really annoying, but for some, they can be quite catastrophic financially. In terms of the actual scams themselves, are, are there certain ones that, that are more popular? Uh, yes, we, you know, it's it's kind of sad and funny at the same time. Um, if ever, I, I think if you've kind of been on social media, um, you might have seen some people talking about the car warranty robocall. Based on RoboKiller's data, we estimate that it's statistically possible that every American with a smartphone has received that robocall more than four times this year, at least. I know I have. <laughs> I guess it's something we all have in common. Uh, <laughs> um, what's interesting with the, the car warranty robocall is we're actually seeing a large decrease, a significant decrease, actually, in the last couple of months um, for that robocall specifically, actually thanks to an effort from the FCC. The FCC tracked down uh, some known robocallers that were suspected to be behind this car warranty robocall. Um, and they actually put out an announcement that allowed all carriers to block any traffic from where they had identified they think they thought this, this scam was coming from. And what we've seen since uh, that announcement in July of la- this year is that car warranty robocalls, uh, in, uh, according to RoboKiller, have gone from about 15% of total robocalls to less than 1% in just a couple of months. So this is actually an exciting development because it's a great testament to, um, you know, the FCC's efforts to get involved to stop a a particular scam and and seeing that that's working really basically immediately. Um, So we're very excited about that. Of course, uh, scammers, just like we're seeing with robotext shifts, you know, are are really going to often just change their tactics and adopt different scams. Um, In terms of the types of scams that we're seeing, the overall trend that we we know about phone scammers is that they watch the news, they know what what's top of mind for us, um, and they're often t- changing and targeting their scams to be uh, as relevant as possible. So, for example, in the last couple months, um, we've seen increases in significant increases in student loan phone scams, both for robocalls and texts, um, as coverage around student loan forgiveness has increased in the media. And again, that scammers really are just trying to kind of catch you when you're not really paying attention. But, you know, this, you might like look at something and see like, oh, yeah, you know, I did apply for student loan forgiveness. I'm going to, you know, just click this link and check this out in this text. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're hooked. Um, and so that's definitely a common trend that we see, of course, as we head into the holidays. Um, you know, scammers love to uh, pose as delivery service text companies. I've been getting a ton of Amazon spam texts in the last couple of days, actually. Um, and so really, for them, it's a game of relevancy um, just to increase the likelihood that you'll fall for their, their scams, unfortunately. That's Julia Porter from RoboKiller. That's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. 
The Cyberwire podcast is a production of N2K Networks, proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Brandon Karp, Eliana White, Baru Prakash, Liz Irvin, Rachel Gelfand, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Maria Vermatsis, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Millie Lardy, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Catherine Murphy, Janine Daly, Jim Hoshite, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, Simone Petrella, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next year. Thank you.